Hello and welcome to Top Stand, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and ask them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and the originator and host of Tops 10. Today I have with me a very special guest visiting Lubbock. Mr. John Quinones is the Emmy Award-winning co-anchor of ABC News Magazine Prime Time and has been with the network for nearly 30 years. He's the sole anchor of the Prime Time series, What Would You Do?, one of the highest-rated news magazine franchises in recent years. During his tenure, he's reported extensively for ABC News, predominantly serving as a correspondent for Prime Time in 2020. John, where did you grow up, and did you always want to be on TV or be a newsman, or when did that inspiration hit you? Well, thank you, Dean, for having me here. But yes, all along, I for as long as I can remember, I used to watch Geraldo Rivera on 2020, and he was this cool Hispanic reporter with a mustache and long hair and blue jeans, doing great. Yeah, people don't remember my age, people my age remember he was the first cool yeah, journalist. Exactly. I mean, this sort of hair down Serpico, you know, yeah, look, yeah. doing yeah. groundbreaking reporting, many investigative stories that he broke wide open. Great great stuff and traveling everywhere. So I, I dreamed of someday being like Geraldo and when I was in high school and and and. Breaking into the business, I, I would listen to my little transistor radio and listen to uh, to the great broadcasters of the day and watch Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw and, and dream of someday doing that and getting out of my poor neighborhood in San Antonio in the barrio and uh, traveling the world. So for a long time, I started writing for my high school newspaper when I was 14. Now, did your parents uh, watch the evening news with Walter Cronkite? I mean, was this something that was in, within your family? No, or? no, they spoke only Spanish. So it was something that I took a liking to on my own. I would watch the evening news at 5.30, back when everyone would run home to watch what was on world news. Now we get our news from this thing here, this little phone that you can hold in your hands. But back then, that's where you got uh, the international news and the foreign news, and I love that. So it wasn't a family thing. It was something strictly that I grew a penchant for on my own. Now, was there music in your home? Did your parents Always. listen to music, sing? Oh, yeah. My, we A lot of Tejano music, because it's, I'm Mexican-American, and uh, in our neighborhood, it was all you know Mexican, Mexican-American, Tejano, Conjunto music. Uh, but then I, of course, was an American kid. The, the family, by the way, has been in Texas for seven generations. So I love it when people say, you're Mexican-American. When did you come here? We were always here. Somebody redrew the boundary, and suddenly we're speaking English. But we didn't cross the border, I tell folks. The border crossed us. But but because I was an all-American teenager, I loved rock music in Chicago and Three Dog Night and Earth, Wind, and Fire and R&B music. And um, that's the kind of music that I loved. When were you first aware that um, a song could have power, influence on on someone? Was it, was it uh, the music that you were listening to in your home or some of this sort of adopted mainstream music? Well, I always knew that music could make you happy. I mean, if you're feeling down, you know, and we were poor. We were... We lived in, you know, my dad was a janitor, and my mom used to clean houses for a living. So there were many times when we were down and out, and, and yet music would liven everything up, and my parents loved to dance. So we would go to dances at the church, at the Catholic church on Sunday nights, and uh, 
I knew then that it could change your their whole spirit. And also, of course, romance, you know, your first girlfriend and the, that first song. Uh, I knew very, from a very early age, I loved music. When I was eight years old, I was in a talent show and I sang Jailhouse Rock with uh, you know, Elvis Presley's song. Uh, so I, I, all along, I, I, the family was rich in its appreciation of music. Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley is one of the songs that you listed for yeah. us. Uh, so you started singing along. Did this impress girls? That you could do that? Did you do any hip swivels? As <laughs> well, that's, well oh, that was the intent. Yes, yeah, yeah. and I think it did. I think I had a little girlfriend by the name of Sylvia Banda, and uh, it worked. It, I think it, it. She was very impressed with not only my singing but my my dancing. And, and then I got a rock band as I grew older and sang in this band. What were they called? Free Nation. <laughs> we're a bunch of long-haired. Uh, we weren't hippies, but we played some really cool stuff. Listenership ranges from people uh, our age to mm-hmm. uh, 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 students, and so trying to explain the phenomenon of Elvis Presley of being such a different kind of uh, singer and performer than almost almost anybody America had seen before that, yeah. it's hard to uh, throw back. And even if when you watch old TV shows, yeah, he was phenomenal. I saw him in person when I was 13 years old, and was it, it a was, concert? Yeah, in a concert yeah, in yeah. San Antonio. Uh, 
just unbelievable. I mean, he, the electricity that he would bring to the arena was phenomenal. Now, of course, he's he's an entire serious uh, uh, satellite channel all to his, his own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got uh, to go to uh, Graceland the other day. We were filming my show, What Would You Do?, in Memphis, so we, we went to Graceland and visited the his old mansion. You pay your pay your respects. Then, of course, they do. Yeah. Yes. Now you talked about happiness, and one of the other songs you listed is probably the most hopeful song ever written by Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world! Yeah, yeah, I, I just love that song. Um, I have three kids, and when and of course the song's been around much longer than that, but. When my Nico, my son, was in, in preschool, he was only four years old, uh, there were only like 12 kids in his class in preschool. And one day we, we shot home video of the entire class and the kids sitting on, on a wall. And we put that song uh, as a soundtrack to video of the kids in their little preschool class. And it still, it just touches my heart. Uh, you know, it's all about innocence and the, the simple things uh, and, and makes you feel happy. Yes, indeed. Now, you've been working in the news, uh, well, I guess since you were five, if mm-hmm. you were paid attention. Um, <laughs> one of the things I balance, and I've, I, my parents watch the CBS Evening News. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that when my father passed away, that's when the newspaper industry uh, collapsed because, <laughs> because he, he subscribed to five that's print some, newspapers delivered and Time and Newsweek. So we were a news-saturated home. And I often had discussions with my parents, and I said, Wow, the world is a depressing place. Yeah. How do you, as a as a news person, mm-hmm. just seeing so many bad things? And I know I know you often see good, good, good things, the good yeah. and good in people, and especially in bad situations, sometimes the goodness and greatness can come out in people. Mm-hmm. But how do you keep a sort of even keel in your life while you're seeing all this terrible I think stuff around you? I think it's good for a reporter to feel emotions. And there have been many times when I've been interviewing someone, whether they're a victim of an earthquake or, or a hurricane or wars, as I did in Central America back in the 80s and 90s. Um, if you feel that emotion and it touches your heart, then it's going to touch the hearts of viewers watching. And I always I don't remove myself from that. I think it's important for reporters to feel because then you can report that back to your audience. And I think what keeps me going was has always been the thought that, look, by yes, it's difficult to sit here right now for me and interview this person who's been through, through such tremendous loss. But by the very fact that I'm here and putting it on the air, there will be a greater good that comes out of this. So it may cost me a little bit of heartache right now, but there might be help uh, that's prompted by us shining a light on this little difficult, dark corner of the world. So um, I I think that's what keeps me going. And and, and knowing that it's okay to, to, to feel teary-eyed, as I many times have felt, even with what would you do when I break the scene and I come out and I congratulate some hero for standing up to racism or bigotry. Uh, it just feels good, and, and, and that's what life is uh, all about, uh, music and feelings and, 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 and making sure that other people know about it and exposing things that need to be exposed, whether they're human rights violations or injustice or discrimination or racism or corruption. When journalism is done right, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff we should be 
know, as, as quite a number of our founding fathers said, none, none of them loved the press. It's really no. important to remember that these people had had no respect for the press, yeah. but they still said, "Yep, but you still have to have a free press." Absolutely, so it wasn't that they were in love with journalism of the of the time, which was a pretty pretty uh, antagonistic, uh, often puerile uh, journalism. You scratch uh, any reporter, and yeah. you'll find a reformer <laughs> underneath yeah. that. We're just trying to make the world a better place, you know. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky. Also on the faces of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying, "How do you do?" They're really saying, "I love you." I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They learn much more. I never knew And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful Your show, uh, What Would You Do?, I, I also find it fascinating because uh, Americans have always cared about moral dilemmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always been of interest. But traditionally, primetime television has you know, tried to keep a sort of neutral advertising platform and sort of stay away from, from moral dilemmas. Mm-hmm. But you, you're embracing them, and it's been a big hit. Can, <laughs> can you sort of explain that? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's look, these, these things happen every day in our lives. Uh, we all witness things that are disturbing. You know, uh, It's just that they happen usually in the shadows when there are no cameras rolling. As, uh, as many cameras as we have around us in our daily lives um, for security reasons. Um, really, when, when we, you see spousal abuse or discrimination, it happens because people think they're not being, you know, no one is watching what they're thinking, what they're saying, and what they're doing. Um, and I think that's the beauty of the show. We, we bring it out into the open. Um, many times there'll be an African-American person who'll say, look, when I go into fancy boutiques, people follow me around thinking that I'm going to steal something. And uh, many of the rest of us will say, 
oh, you're just playing the race card. That doesn't happen. Well, guess what? When we put hidden cameras on it, we see that it really does happen. I think that's the best kind of journalism. It, it's it, with hidden cameras. When people go undercover, and how long has that been going on? For, for, for decades, if not centuries, where we, po- we, we, we can only get to the story by not admitting right off the bat that we're journalists. And uh, in a way, that's what we get to do with what would you do. We, we have actors portray the victim or the antagonist, and uh, we see the beautiful way and sometimes the heartbreaking way and some people, the way people react. Sometimes people will agree with the racist. And you know what? That's okay, too. It's a free country. When I come out and I ask them, you know, why did you do that? They'll sign a release and they'll be very proud of their convictions. That's really important for everybody to know is mm-hmm. that everyone you get to talk to afterwards, every, you, you don't ambush people. No. They have to sign a release. And you know what? If they don't yeah. sign it, we're not going to put it on the air. That's right. Even though technically... We could, yeah. Because by the very public, fa- public place, exactly, yeah. it's a public place, and yeah. we film only in states. Not every state, by the way, allows it. Yeah. Only in states that allow hidden camera and recordings. So um, we could put them on the air, nonetheless. But we don't because we're not out to embarrass people. You know, if you say something ridiculous on the air, and it's going to cost you to lose your job. We don't want to be responsible for that. We don't need to, to cost people their livelihoods or their marriages. We uh, Only if they agree, we'll, we'll put them on. And maybe we'll put them on if they don't sign, but we'll fudge their faces. You'll never know who they are. Maybe change their voices. But we're not out to embarrass anyone. I think that's a very important ethic, mm-hmm. and it really makes strengthens the show the, yeah. the, of this authenticity and reality. Uh, you talked about the public eye. Well, you you've been in the public eye, I guess, since your teens. You started a rock band, as you said, and one of the songs you listed was "Saturday in the Park" by Chicago. I'm trying to visualize you, younger and long hair. Yeah, that's uh, me. I wish with I had adoring pictures. fans, right? <laughs> well, not that many. We played in quinceaneras, you know, fifteen uh, uh, coming out, fifteen year old. That's right, little girls. Coming out parties and uh, weddings. You were the band at the Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, we had a brass section and uh, we played Chicago kind of music, uh, like Saturday Night, uh, Saturday at, in the Park, which was. So I just wondered. So it was not Tejano music that no. they wanted at these. They wanted mainstream. Music? No, well, they did want Tejano music okay, yeah. at these Mexican weddings. Yeah. So what we would do is we would learn one or two uh, Tejano polka songs and a yeah. cumbia song. And then we had to play them very long and play them over and over again if the audience was getting drunk and wanted more Mexican music. I would have to instruct the band to play it again. We played, we had very few songs in that repertoire, but, uh, but the music we did play was like Chicago, which with the, the beautiful brass section. And uh, it just, it, it was wonderful. It was wonderful.
you're here on campus in, in Lubbock because mm-hmm. you are the speaker the, the for our Celebrate Diversity Banquet. And yeah. I'm very proud our college is uh, helping sponsor that. And, mm-hmm. and you got a chance to talk to some of our stu- students earlier in the classroom. And I mm-hmm. understand it was very well attended and very exciting. Diversity and news often don't go together. Mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, there's the newsroom is always been very strongly male and white. Even today, journalism is uh, more male than, say, public relations or or, or advertising. Um, And I've seen some surveys that actually diversity in uh, mainstream or or corporate news is actually going down slightly Mm -hmm. uh, because of downsizing and, you know, first first come, first hired, last hired, first fired, so to speak. Uh Uh, What do you see as the arc of of diversity in your experiences in the newsroom? I think it's getting better, um, certainly better than when I started. Uh, I was hired because I spoke Spanish, and uh, Central America was a big story. And we had a correspondent, as you may remember, whose name was Bill Stewart, an ABC News Mm. correspondent who went to cover the war in Nicaragua and was shot and killed, assassinated on camera by the Nicaraguan soldiers because they couldn't communicate. He couldn't communicate with them in Spanish. He had a translator who looked like a leftist rebel, and they thought they were communists. The soldiers thought they were communists. So poor Bill Stewart had no idea that by hiring this kid with long hair and blue jeans, he was hiring someone who was very suspect to the soldiers in Nicaragua. They killed the translator, and then they turned their guns and killed Bill Stewart, our ABC correspondent in 1980. The networks, in all their wisdom back then, said, look, we should hire someone who speaks Spanish to go cover that region. And I was in Chicago. I was a local reporter. It's not the most noble reason to <laughs> diversify. Well, <is> <laughs> yes, they were under the pressure. And I wanted to go. Are you kidding? It was an opportunity to go work for the great Peter Jennings and Ted Koppel. And uh, I did. So I jumped at the opportunity. But um, back then, they were hiring only those because there was a war and there was a real need. Now we're hiring people to to be on ABC News in 2020 and Good Morning America, simply because that's part of the changing face of America. And ABC News, uh, our former president, uh, news uh, division president, Ben Sherwood, and now James Golston, the new president, have made every effort to really bring in uh, uh, African-American kids and uh, young reporters, I say kids, but young uh, correspondents uh, like uh, Gio Benitez, this young Cuban-American from Miami, and, uh, and um, uh, you know, Cecilia Vega, a Hispanic reporter out of California. Uh, we have now a, a more, much more, I think, uh, a staff that's much more representative of the changing face of America. And it is changing. And I think many companies will do it, if not because it's the right moral, ethical thing to do, but also because it's the right business uh, decision. You know that by the year 2043, minorities will be the majority in America. The very face of our country is changing right before our eyes. Hispanics are a huge part of it. Uh, The population has grown by 50% since the year 2000. Uh, It will be, you know, in states like California, it's already the majority. In states like Texas, uh, it will be the majority very soon. So I think corporations, television stations, uh, uh, the medical profession, the legal profession uh, need, uh, and I think are realizing that the buying power of Hispanic America is now a trillion dollars in five years. Uh, studies show that it will grow by 50%, so it will be a trillion and a half uh, dollars a year spent by Hispanics. 
that, if anything else, will force uh, corporations to hire a workforce that's much more representative of that uh, changing face of America. And I think you're also arguing that it makes for better news reporting, that you know, you could have people who maybe understand questions to ask and, and people to talk to within the community that Absolutely. somebody coming yeah. from one, another group might not. Look, I don't want to be the Hispanic reporter at ABC. I never wanted to be that. But I do want to be the, Hisp- the reporter who happens to be Hispanic, who can go to Mexico or Nicaragua or Argentina or Spain or Puerto Rico and bring back stories that perhaps someone who doesn't look like me or speaks the language that I speak uh, might not be able to deliver. And that gives us an edge. Uh, I was just in Houston, Texas, covering a murder trial of all things, where the family was from Colombia, the family of the suspect, and we got an exclusive interview with them because I was able to communicate with their families. When the Chilean miners got stuck in that mine a few years ago in Chile, there were 2,000 journalists waiting to get the first interview with the first survivor who came out of that yes. mine. It's amazing that those 33 men were saved after 69 days down there. Guess who got the first interview? I did. And it wasn't just because I'm that great a reporter, but also because I speak the language. I understood the customs. I knew when to ask for something and not push for something. I didn't alienate the families in Chile like many American journalists did. And I got the first interview. That does give us an edge. Are you kidding? It does. that your your parents did not speak English? No. no did, never? I mean, they... Well, they spoke a little. My mother... Functional... Yeah, my dad yeah. dropped out of school in the third yeah. grade because he had to go pick cotton in South Texas. Uh, we were migrant farm workers as a family, and when I was 13, we picked tomatoes in Ohio and, and cherries in Michigan. My mother dropped out, I think, in the sixth or seventh grade. She spoke better English, but uh, none of them very well. Now, you, you mentioned here that uh, Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra yeah. was your dad's favorite well, song. Well, he loves Sinatra, and it crosses all... That music is a universal language, as we often talk about yeah. on this show. So he loved the song, but yeah. but maybe you had to translate. Yeah, it for yeah, him? yeah. <laughs> of course. I would say you would say, what, "What does that mean, son?" I would say, well, "It's about you know el viento, the, the wind in the summer, and how he loses a girl and he never got to see her again." But uh, he just loved. Well, first of all, he loved Frank Sinatra, who didn't, uh, and um, and he loved that music. I think it it was. 
Um, he he he'd drink a little tequila and 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 just disappear. He would he would just uh, drift into this world of you know. Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. in Las Vegas. I think he dreamed big dreams. Is your father still with us? No, both of them passed away about okay. eight years ago. So yeah. they did get to see their son oh, yeah. really succeed in, in the American world. Uh, yeah. yeah, although I, I don't know that they ever considered it success. My mother would say, oh, that's great, son. You're on television. Wonderful. But why don't you come back to San Antonio? I know you're so smart. I know you could be the manager of the Target because you could you could put on the red vest and you would be. <laughs> so I don't it's, think she... It's safe. It's, yeah, it's yeah, safer yeah. because she didn't want me covering these civil wars oh, in yeah. El Salvador. And I went to Iraq the first, the second time. Yeah. Uh, we and the U.S. went to war there. So she would worry, and my sisters tell me she would go up to the TV screen whenever I would appear in one of these troubled countries, and she would make the sign of the cross on the screen to make sure that I was kept safe by God. The summer wind came blowing in from across the sea It lingered there to touch your hair and walk with me All summer long we sang a song and then we strolled that golden sand Two sweethearts And the summer wind Like painted kites Those days and nights They went flying by The world was new Beneath the Blue umbrella sky Then softer than a piper man One day it called to you I lost you I lost you to the summer wind The autumn wind Still the days, those lonely days, they go on and on. And guess who sighs his lullabies through nights that never end? My fickle friend, the summer wind. The summer wind, warm summer wind, the summer wind. 
One of the other songs you listed is, is also one of my personal favorites, and we'll go to a Time in the Bottle by mm-hmm. by Jim Croce. Now yeah. you've you, you've had a thirty year career, and you, yeah. and you can really recount uh, probably so many uh, exciting or or at least uh, very interesting uh, uh, times there. Yeah. Um, do you find that because a lot of your experiences are recorded? that they're somehow different from somebody who just has experiences? I mean, how do you process all the things that you've done in, in a bottle? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there. Now it's uh, in this digital world. Uh, I know my children uh, will be able to, and uh, they will have a little bit of that uh, when I'm no longer here. But it's just a wonderful thought that if you could just capture that that feeling and that moment uh, and extend time just a little bit uh, to treasure those those wonderful moments that um, you'd be just happier and it might be a better world. Uh, I, I just I just love Jim Croce and 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 he died you know too early in, in a plane crash I yes. believe right. Yeah. Um, it it also I was also dating this teenage girl and. Uh, we broke up, and it, I just wanted so much to go back to those times to, when we were together. I got over it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> if I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do Save every day till eternity passes away Just to spend them with you If I could make days last forever If words could make wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure And then again I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time To do the things you want to do Once you find them I've looked around enough to know That you're the one I want to go through time with a box just for wishes and dreams that had never come true the box would be empty except for the memory of how they were answered by you but there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them Looked around enough to know You're the one I want to go through time with 
Your next song is by Steely Dan, mm-hmm. the Deacon Blues, and you say, I just love their music, the lyrics, the brass section, and you quote, they've got a name for the winners of the world. I want a name when I lose. Call me Deacon Blues. <laughs> That's one of the lyrics. Um, yeah, because so many times when I was trying to get into the business, and this was at the time that their music was hot, uh, it looked like my dream was not going to come true, that I was going to be a loser, and I just at least wanted uh, a name for for having tried and lost, you know, having ventured and, and not made it, and I will, may, may not be the winner who will be on national television, but I gave it my best. And um, I think that's what that song uh, reminds me of, those times when I didn't think I was the dream would come true. I, for a long time, no one would hire me on television at any local station in Texas or San Antonio, Lubbock, Amarillo, Austin, Houston. They all had their one Hispanic reporter back in the 70s. And it's almost as if the quota had been met and I wouldn't get a shot at doing what my idol, Geraldo and Walter Cronkite and, and Dan Rather were doing. And it... Uh, it was very depressing. I thought I was going to have to give up on journalism. And I almost, I applied to law school in Houston, and I was going to give it up. But I met someone who then said, you still have such a passion for journalism. I was a radio reporter, but starving, because I was making very little money. And she said, why don't you try graduate school? If you're going back to school, why don't you go to the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism, the best journalism school in the world? So Se- I applied. Second, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I beg to differ. Uh, but I did, and I got, I got in, and I got a fellowship to study in New York. So like the Beverly Hillbillies, I packed up a U-Haul trailer, and I went from Houston to New York. And, uh, and studied, and from there I got to Chicago, which is unheard of. You don't start your TV career in Chicago, you start in Peoria, yeah. but I did. I was very lucky.
another song that you listed, Carlos Santana, Black Magic Woman. And, and you mentioned eight-track tapes. And I have a little, <laughs> by the way, I, I have a little museum in my office where I keep like vinyl discs uh, and eight-track tapes. Just to, so students know that there was a technology before <laughs> iTunes, you know. In the prehistoric days. That's right. Um, did, and you, did you have a car that you put the tapes into? Of course. Or, yeah. The first car that I bought yeah. was a Pontiac Star Duster. Uh, it was a 1959 car. It was you do not huge. still have that car. No, no yeah. I wish I did now. Yeah, yeah. It cost me $75, the car. And uh, worth every penny, Of right? course, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it had an 8-track player, or at least we put one in. And, um, and Carlos Santana, are you kidding? First of all, he's Mexican-American, like me. And every party you would go to when I was in college, there was a black light, and, uh, and there was his music either... And of course, Black Magic Move, uh, Magic Woman was the, the big song. Uh, ironically, li- much later, years later, when I was already a reporter at ABC News, I was in Argentina in Buenos Aires covering a story there. And at the hotel we were staying was Carlos Santana. They were on tour. So I, we asked his band members if they would give me uh, give us tickets, and the crew and I went, and they said, of course, you can come backstage. And we filmed some of it, and then afterward, Carlos Santana invited us to his after party. And uh, we sat there, and I went up to him, and I remember I nervously said to him, Carlos, you don't realize what a big deal this is. I used to play your music in my band, Free Nation in San Antonio. And he looked at me and he said, John, you're not going to believe this. Wait till my wife, I tell my wife that I met John Quinones. It just blew me away. That made my life right there. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. I've got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can She's a black magic woman She's trying to make a devil out of me Don't turn your back on me, baby Don't turn your back on me, baby Yes, don't turn your back on me, baby Stop messing around with your tricks Don't turn your back on me, baby You just might pick up my mentioned before about doing your best 
mm-hmm. doing your best. And I think that's really important. I, we, we tell our students here, you know, we have a new world of, of new emerging forms of media, but there's a right. billion people on Facebook giving their content away for free. Right. So if you want people to pay you for your content, it's got to be a lot better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. How do you get the best out of maybe you see a new employee and an intern or just somebody you're trying to inspire what what do you say to them to try to get the best out of them what's necessary to succeed stay curious you know stay curious read as ask as much as you can don't be shy uh come up to everyone if you really want to be in this business and you get the golden opportunity to have an internship which by the way i think is the greatest thing that's how i got started an internship at a radio station don't be afraid to to to, to go up to them and and uh, and and pick their brains i think I love young interns who come to me and, and ask for advice, um, and I, I admire any of them who have a, a natural curiosity to ask questions and to learn more about their world, and and who love to write. In the end, it's all about how well you write a story. Uh, you know, you hear all this talk about how the industry is suffering and there will be no more jobs, and you know, newspapers indeed are dying. But I, I think there will always be in this country and in this world the appetite for a good story and a good storyteller. And if you can find that and you can shine your light on it and bring us something that no one else is doing, written in a way that no one else is writing it, you will always have a job. Uh, that's it. I think that's it. Just just stay curious and don't be shy. Being a terrific storyteller, just that'll keep you employed for the next 80 years of course Absolutely. yeah i mean I, humans since the caves through the yik yak tell me a good story to, tell me yeah. a good story yeah. uh we know you need to get to a speech so i'll finish up uh uh-huh. now and probably cut cut a few songs out and i apologize ahead of time but i did want to talk about uh, your the, the, your last song take it easy by the eagles and <laughs> and you you pointed out a particular lyric don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy <laughs> and it it is uh-huh. as i'm sure you know when when you see yourself on television and people recognize you, I remember the reporter Jack German talked about he had been a print reporter for 20 years and he did one guest appearance and suddenly everybody thought he was much brighter. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's right. On TV, uh, how do you keep yourself grounded in your your family, your 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 heritage, your 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 patriotism, the, the fact mm-hmm. that you're 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 not. A, you're not a Hollywood star. You're you're a person doing a good, trying to do a good job every day. I just don't forget where I came from. You know, it's hard when you grow up in poverty. You know, you never forget that how tough times were, and therefore, when someone stops me and says, "Can I take a picture with you? Or can I have your autograph?" Of course, I always make time. I'll wind up staying tonight at this speech until midnight, as long as people and some of these students want. Uh, a picture, and everyone, of course, now has a has a camera with their cell phones. Um, just not forgetting uh, where you came from is really important, and giving a helping hand to those who are coming up behind us. I remember trying to break into the business, and how disc jockeys at radio stations, where I wanted to work, wouldn't give me the time of day, and how heartbreaking that was. And I vowed back then that if I ever made it, I was never going to be like that. I want to be an inspiration to these kids because um, they're, they're the next generation. They need, we need to hand off the baton to them at some point and let them excel the, the way we did. There's a million stories out there and there's a million storytellers in, 
in the worst of living in in, in in many of the worst of conditions in this country that we would consider bad poverty and the ghettos and the barrios and yet that's where some of the greatest story writers are so I, I um, how do I keep uh, from going Hollywood is it's just that you know realize and keeping friends who are from the old neighborhood who remind me that you know I'm just Juanito Quinones from from the west side of San Antonio. I love them. I love going back. I go back to San Antonio every two months, just about. I get invited to give speeches, but also to visit my family and and my old friends. Um, I consider myself very lucky, so I take nothing for granted. And I think that's it. If you don't start taking things for granted, then you can appreciate every single moment, and you won't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Well, thank you so much. That I, I, I want to take what you just said, put it on a brass plaque. Oh, thank you. And give Dean. it to every one of our students as they graduate. Uh, Mr. Quinones, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming to inspire our students. We look forward to uh, hearing you tonight. And uh, thanks for doing Tops 10. And we will leave listening to the sounds of the Eagles. Take it easy. All right. Thank you, Dean Philmar. Thank you. sound